Dr. Hapscott, I will give you, she is a urologist, and she and I actually are both paid spokespersons for Petros Pharmaceutical, and we share a common passion for men's health, uh, also treatment of sexual dysfunction and associated therapies. And we'll be talking about all things men and urological today, something that often comes up on um, your mom's house. Um, I'm not so in control of the content of that show, uh, but I am with this one. So I thought, given all the, the questions we've had over there, I'm going to get them responded to and answered by a real expert. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Let's bring in Dr. Ashley Tapscott. There you hey are. there, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for being with us from near Charlotte, North Carolina, right? You got it, right outside of Charlotte, in Huntersville, North Carolina. So uh, t tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Uh, it, it's interesting. People always ask me, you know, how people get into their various specialties and subspecialties. What attracted you to urology? So I grew up uh, the granddaughter of a pediatrician and really was involved in medicine early on, even in high school. Uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Mitchell Goldman, I worked in high school at University of Tennessee Medical Center between trauma and then you may have heard of the body farm, uh, which has spurned a lot of kind of fiction and nonfiction novels uh, in terms of looking at forensic anthropology. So I thought I wanted to be kind of forensic anthropologist, which is really all the crime scene shows we see now. Although I thought maybe, you know, growing up 2 and 4 a.m. getting called out for murders and things maybe wasn't the best dinner conversation. So then I looked into the world of surgery and urologists were kind of the funniest and the happiest surgeons that I knew. I worked with one for a short period of time during my medical school rotations and then really just fell in love with the intimacy and the long-term relationships that I could have with patients. Ended up training in Philadelphia, thought I wanted to be a real bad mamma-jamma prostate cancer surgeon. But once I started doing that, I looked at the impact of loss of erectile function, incontinence on the patient and their partners, and really felt uh, you know, a move towards that and a passion towards that expertise, because there really weren't that many people. Uh, and that's how I ended up kind of where I am today. Very interesting. You'd be amazed how many times when I ask our peers why they selected their discipline they will say something on the order of, those guys were just nice. I liked hanging out with those guys. And especially, I would tell you, especially urology. Almost every urologist, when I ask, they go, you know, they were the coolest group. They were joking. They seemed to be the happiest. And they, the, the anatomy was kind of interesting, and they were really helping people. Isn't that funny? It's funny. I think it's a unique personality. And I usually say I've never met a urologist that I didn't like. So I think that uh, yeah, we have good jokes for fun at dinner parties. Uh, and what's weird is yeah. people will say, like, I really didn't want to talk about that, but you brought it up, so I'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're saving it up for you. And then you you sort of uh, rushed past the uh, forensic anthropological body farms. People don't know what that is. I actually talked to the guy that you must have worked for, the founder. I did an interview with him. Susan, maybe we could figure out where that podcast is. It was one with uh, was it with Bruce, I think, or Bob. 
Yeah. And that is where they essentially bury bodies in the ground and study their rates of decay. That <laughs> was Weekly Infusion. It was, yeah, it was with Bruce. Bruce, if you find out, is that still on the website? Caleb, is Weekly Infusion still up on the website? Oh, yes, they're all still there, on, definitely. Uh, okay. Yeah, you can find it on um, Apple. Oh, iTunes. Really? Apple iTunes. All right, but that that it was wild talking to him about how he started his career and how 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 deeply involved it all got. And they've got a lot. I mean, they can based on the insects and the soil and the decay and the bacteria that are growing. I mean, there's so many different criteria. What funguses? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's wild what they do there. Hey, listen, so that that vaporize, was interesting. You vaporize super glue and you find out a lot of things. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting. Jesus. All right. And then, so you, now I'm, by the way, grateful for my prostate surgeon. It's funny. I sat down with him. He did the, he does the robotic, uh, you know, the radical prostatectomies. And I said, you know, well, all right, we got to do this. What's the complication rate? He goes, well, I've done about 1100 and so far zero complications. So that, okay, I'm, I'm in and no, no, no significant complication. Let's go. And I found it to be so. It, it was a pretty slick operation, a big operation. I and mean, you're five hours on the table, and and you, you're not the same afterwards, but it's fine. It's everything's fine, which is amazing. But uh, for those that do get into various kinds of trouble, um, you, you and I—I don't know where to start this conversation. In other words, you you are really take men all the way through the therapeutics if they do have erectile dysfunction after something like prostate surgery or just aging or diabetes or vascular disease. Let, let's review again how erections happen and what that biology is. Absolutely. So, so basically, when we talk about erectile dysfunction, and again, you and I will separate psychogenic erectile dysfunction. So we talk about things that involve the brain or brain chemistry or perhaps side effects of medications or substance abuse. So substance abuse and medications can affect the brain, which is part of the trigger for men's erectile health. We're just going to talk about men here. When we talk about erections, really it's a filling or a storage problem. So you either can't get blood into the arteries, which dilate. And by the way, as we discussed on our discussion the other day, Tuesday, you know, really, uh, you know, these arteries are about four to six times smaller than the big ones in your heart. So if you've had any heart surgery, stents, cardiac disease, elevated coronary calcium score, these things are going to affect the smaller blood vessels in the penis. So these vessels may not be able to dilate. Uh, as an addition, aside from those vessels dilating, which we know nitrous oxide, okay, some people call it laughing gas, maybe in the dental office, nitrous oxide pushes blood flow into the penis. Once it gets in there, you have valves, okay, or veins that have to shut like trap doors that secure the blood in the penis. So the erectile function is a stimulation, okay, which occurs on the outside, a partner, yourself, uh, you know, pornographic material, et cetera, stimulates arteries dilating, pushing blood into the penis, and then the valves or the doors have to close and trap blood in the penis for a successful response. In in, uh, in the nitric oxide pathway, sort of an un, these are arteries that uh, dilate and uncoil. They're very specialized mm -hmm. arteries to put a bunch of uh, fluid into the cavernous body in the middle there. That's uh, actually what swells up, right? And when you yeah. guys put implants, wh where do you put those implants? Yeah, so there, there's a couple. So that we put them directly in the two kind of rocket boosters or the erectile chambers of the penis. So there are really the three chambers. 
Yes, the spongiosum. So there are the corpora cavernosum. There are two erectile chambers. So you have the corpora cavernosum, which are the two erectile chambers, what I call rocket boosters. Below that is what we call the urethra, which is the urinary tube, carries urine from the men, uh, from the bladder out to the tip of the penis. That's got a little bit of spongiosum or erectile tissue around it as well. Uh, and so that the implant basically goes inside the erectile tissues, the two rocket boosters of the penis from the pelvic bone out towards hopefully the mid tip or the head of the penis, the glands, we call it. And that is what basically allows us kind of two ballast tanks, if you will, on a ship or two water balloons that inflate that mimic the natural erectile tissue. I'm going to bring Susan in on this. Susan, do you have any discomfort as a, as a, as a female partner? Do you feel any... Would you be any weirded out if I suddenly had to get an implant? <clears throat> Prepare, she's taking water before she answers that. <laughs> <laughs> well, me, 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 me. Would I, I, I mean, would I, I wouldn't have a choice, right? Well, I mean, well, <laughs> what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going to give Dr. Tapp's got a chance to do is to, one of the things she has to do is prepare the female partner as well as the male patient yeah. for these things. And so I'm wondering how, since you're here. How come here, you always ask me these tough questions? I, I mean. You can ask me tough questions. It's, it's all right. Oh, God. <laughs> so what questions would you have for Dr. Tapscott? If what we would I have? Yeah. What questions would you have for her? Because um, I'm not, I'm not the you, female partner. If you couldn't be. If you had to use a penile implant. Yeah. And we, um, we were going for the we were going for the surgical consult, and we we're going to go get these things put in. Well, first thing I would say, Dr. Tapscott, how happy are the? I mean, you know, I'm not a medical person, I so I would just have to do whatever it, you said to do. It, it, well, the fact that you uh, get the willies from this. Uh, no, I don't have the willies. It's just, I mean, how do you answer that well. without sounding like a jerk? You're like whatever. Well, I don't so, know. So I mean, I would say, Dr. Tapscott. How do, on, on average, how do the male patients and the female partners feel once someone has put one of these things in? Right. So, again, I'll have a two-pronged answer to that question. Number one is clinical. Number two is real life. So, clinically, 98% of men have clinical satisfaction with their penile implants and 96% of their female partners, again, you know, a lot of the literature and the and the examination and clinical studies on partners is heterosexual. So if there are any of our, you know, homosexual, trans or lesbian partners listening, please understand the scientific data is not slighted towards you. Uh, that's just historically how it's been. And so certainly I have lots of homosexual males uh, in my practice and there are there is data uh, directed towards them as well. when we talk about penile implants. So, you know, really it's a 98% patient and 96% partner satisfaction. And I think one of the things that I talk about is really, it's, it's really a couple's disease. And I think there's a lot of psychogenic, a lot of intimacy, anxiety, and angst around this. Look, scheduled sex is not sexy. You want to take a pill, you want to time it, maybe you've had a glass of wine. Most of these things happen on date night. A lot of the medications are faulted by the metabolism of food and alcohol. Uh, and so I think we really have to have an honest discussion about patients. What, what is your schedule? Some of my patients have their partners out of town. And so they maybe have a 36 hour window. Uh, some of my patients have partners that are maybe on cancer or chemotherapy treatments and they have pain as well. So I really involve the partner. And I think uniquely heterosexual or other couples, me as a woman providing that expertise, you know, I welcome partners in my office because you know what? You're 50% of the equation. 
And if you're sitting out in the lobby, well, I would, reading, I would definitely want to meet with her in the in the doctor's office right, of if it was like, of course. And, but I, I, I had the same situation when you had prostate cancer. I had to meet with the urologist. As you um, should. And thank you for being here. Because that is an enormous Yeah, the first one. The one. first one. But I didn't like the guy because he giggled when I asked him questions about sex. So I was like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, but I had, I mean, he, they had given me a book that said, you know, you had to start having sexual relationships with your husband, like in the operating, like right after the operation. I, it was just a horrible book that I had to read. And I was oh, like, how soon do I have to like start doing this? And, and uh, we ended up changing doctors, but I, and I, and I asked the second doctor the same question. I go, do I have to like get right on top of it? Like right away to get things working again? And and uh, he said, uh, "Give it about a month." But the book said I had to like <laughs> show up in the in, in the in the recovery sorry, room. I, I, and I, I, and I, I, now time for you to turn over all the cards. I wrote that book. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wrote it. I made it look like it was an official document. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was I you. It. I read so. the whole thing though. Yeah, I was right. very concerned. That's where she got the this this thing in her head that tomatoes were bad or something. Wasn't that something? You, I, you know what? It was such a weird book. And but I think, you know, I I think Drew was more concerned with whether or not he would be able to perform for me after the fact if it went wrong, how that would affect me and what, you know, I had to wait a month to have sex too. So we had to like try other things, you know, use toys and stuff. But I but I was like gun ho to like be on a schedule and make sure that, you know, we got things moving again and it worked, thank stressful. God. But if it, yeah. but if it hadn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I would try, if you could still have pleasure even without it, I would try to, I would make sure that you did. Well, the, you know? but, but Dr. Tapscott has these devices that they can put in. So let's right. say. No, I get it. But you asked me before you kind of threw me because I'm always the person that has to ask the sec, ask answer the sex questions and i always get myself in trouble because no. <laughs> the men out there are like oh god she can't be talking about this like uh, she's got you covered she's got okay, you covered so i'm gonna let you take it from here no 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 we are not done with you oh no so so, so my question so we'd come in i i really want to sort of recreate this so we come in and dr i don't know if you heard what she said she said well that uh, mrs pinsky the men are 98% satisfied. The women are 96% satisfied. So it, it really is something everyone's happy with. What would your next question be, Mrs. Pinsky? Uh, how does it work? Okay, show us the device. Do you have any devices okay. on hand? I, well, I mean, I might just. J just all so right. happens. So, just so happens, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, listen, I'm a prepared girl, all right? I wasn't accepted into Girl Scouts, but I got you here. So here's how we go. So the we the penile implant, what you should know, has been around since 1973. Okay, and there have been several iterations of the device, several companies. But as we have it now in the United States, FDA approved, there are two main companies. Okay, and I kind of loosely describe them as Coke and Pepsi because I think that we're lucky to have two devices, etc. When we talk about the penile implant chambers, okay, and I'm gonna show, and sometimes I'll be honest, I don't show this device all the time in the office because some people aren't quite ready for it. Okay, so I wanna be respectful <laughs> about fear and materials. If Susan, are you, you Susan, are you ready for it? 
You ready, Miss Susan? Yeah, I I would probably be that person. But she's ready now. She's good. Yeah, she's I'm good because you're, no one you're good. Shows you what a pacemaker looks like before it goes in, but it saves your heart. Okay, so so you know I That's think you right. really have to be honest about this. That's right. So these are your two erectile chambers. Okay, and again, this is a custom yeah. link in the operating room. I know everybody wants to measure themselves. You know, nobody's out there measuring the inside of vaginas. We talk about heterosexual <laughs> sex, and I love that everybody thinks that they're eight or nine inches. And that is fantastic. But when you've had surgery, (laughs) diabetes, non-use of your penis, it is a muscle and it will atrophy. If you don't use it, you will lose it. So if you come to see me in the office, what I tell you is I can appreciate where you are and I'm not going to take out a ruler today, which by the way, a lot of people's home rulers are different than my medical rulers, which I find is interesting because I thought it's a metric (laughs) that exists everywhere. But for some reason, everybody has different rulers, right? So someone's seven inches (laughs) at home. And I'm being very honest. And, and what I, but my job is to preserve the penis. I am the National Penis Preservation Society. That's what I do. Um, but basically, these are two inflatable cylinders that go inside the penis. Now, what I will show you, this end goes back against the pelvic bone, which is where the penis ends. Okay. And this, these ends, okay, which are all ergonomically designed, okay, go to the tip of the penis. Now, every tip of the penis is not the same. So I always describe it as a gumdrop on a pretzel rod, okay? So the head of the penis is sensate erectile tissue. It is actually embryonically, okay, or in development, guys and girls, embryonically, similar to the clitoris. So the clitoris of the woman is is similar in embryonic development to the glands of the penis. So these go somewhere in the erectile tissue, wherever that glands end. Some people it's at the very tip. Some people it's in the middle. Okay. That's anatomy. I don't make the rules. It's science. Okay. So these are two inflatable cylinders that go in your penis. This is your remote control. Now, yes, I get asked, do we have an app? Can I time it to music? Bluetooth lights. We don't want your garage door opening thinking the neighbors can come home when you want to use your penile implant. Okay. So we're not there yet. All right. But this is a pump, okay? And this is how you operate. I don't hear your mic. Susan, your mic's off. I can't. can't Susan, turn your mic on. It's all right. No, I am. I like her. (laughs) Oh, good. I like you too. So this is the reservoir that holds the fluid. Now, the fluid that is in these implants is IV saline. So what do we know about implants? We think about breast implants, okay? There are a bazillion more breast implants performed a year as opposed to maybe 30 or 40,000 in the United States penile implants per year, Okay. This is IV saline. It's the same thing we put in your veins if you were sick, if you were in the hospital. So if this system were to ever disconnect, the fluid is just absorbed by your body. It is not dangerous. This goes in a little place where you never see or feel, usually next to your bladder, over your pelvic bone, and that's magic that we perform. So you don't need to worry about that. The only thing you need to worry about is this little pump, okay? And when you want to have an erection, all you do is like a third testicle in the scrotum. And actually, hold please. I have a model here. Okay. This would be a gentleman with an implant. So where I make my incision is usually right here in a natural skin line in the middle of the scrotum. This takes me 45 minutes or less, maybe half an hour, just depends. Okay. And when I make this incision here, it's a natural skin line. So if you want to be a naked model, after you have your penile implant, you can certainly do that. Okay. And then the pump is sits in the scrotum, like a third testicle. Whenever you want to have an erection, all you do is simply squeeze the internal pump. And this may squeak because I tried to fill it today. It's got a little bit of air in it. You will not squeak. I promise. If you do, then we got to work on something. But once it inflates, it's fully 
hard. Okay. And by the way, like this that. material. You like the squeaking? You like this? Well, listen, I'll tell you, yeah. one of my patients the other day, I have some funny, <laughs> funny patients. She took the, I I'm joked sure. about the squeaking. She took the squeaker out of a dog toy and brought it to the office and hit it in her purse. Oh, God, that's funny. I activated her husband's implant. <laughs> that's and that's funny. going in my book. That's going in my book. So anyway, the, the female implant device is fully inflated. By the way, it does not go down until you hit this little button on the side. So if there's a climax gap between you and your partner, if they have an orgasm, come. I don't like the word come. I like the word orgasm. If they have an orgasm, climax of sensation, your penis does not go down until you tell it to. So there's a little button on the side here. You hit that. Penis goes nice and soft. The, you know, the pizza guy comes to the door, your delivery service, they interrupt your, your coitus. You go to the door, you answer, you come right back, you can pump it right back up. There is no and, limit and on the, how long once you can use it. And the male has the same orgasmic function. It's just, this is all just erectile function. Absolutely. Yeah. It does not change orgasm, sensation, urination, ejaculation. Now, if you've had your prostate removed or perhaps procedures for your prostate, your ejaculation may be changed, but overall the implant itself mm -hmm. is just a new hydraulic system for the penis. So a reminder, uh, after dark, they're always getting confused where semen comes from. And uh, that is from the prostate, not from the testicles. Susan, any more right. questions? You feel more comfortable about this now? Yeah. Remember yeah. the story about, yeah, I was just thinking about when she was saying saline and how women, when they get their boobs done, they always have to show them. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. I, the reason why we switched doctor was that um, somebody was, one of my friends was a nutritionist and the guy was a lawyer and he came in and he was all mad because he had a bad prostatectomy and he, he had to, he had a penile pump and he said, look, and he opened up his pants and he showed her and she was like, dude, I'm your nutritionist. I don't need to see that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I wonder if men are kind of no, like. I have a lot of patients say like, I don't really want to tell anybody about this. And then all of a sudden it says, Doctor T, can I can I talk to other patients about this? So what I think one thing that may have been helpful, uh, thankful that you all have not had to go down this route as a couple and as cancer survivors together. But basically, you know, I have patients from any age range, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, that have had the implant due to various conditions that they and their partner are willing to talk to my patients about it. And I think that duplicates an experience that I could never offer. And so, you know, whether, and I said, look, even if you don't want the implant, that's okay, but listen to this couple's journey and maybe it will direct you in some fashion. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have those patients. Uh, <laughs> just looking at some of the comments here, review very quickly before I get into these other topics I want to address. We're, we're talking about erectile dysfunction. Susan, first of all, any more questions? Are you satisfied with the procedure? We, I go to surgery now. No more questions for you Dr. You don't need Tapia. it. I know. I'm just, lucky. I, we're, we're pretending. We're but pretend, if you, if you did, I would be supportive. Okay, we're just playing patient. I, I, know, I know how much it means to you. No. <laughs> it does. Men are all about the penis. Like, it is, it is we talked we talked the other day, you know, I've never seen a woman wake up from surgery grabbing her genitalia or her chest and men all the time. And of course, yeah. I've been in capture. I tortured them a little bit, unfortunately. But, you know, they, they always yeah. are very concerned about down there. And, and that's a native thing that goes way back to evolution that we can't change. And you need yeah. to explain something about like people who have cancer, I guess, like say you have to have, you have prostate cancer and you have yeah. to have chemo and radiation. They have to take all your testosterone out. Right. Well, yeah, so yeah, it, we'll talk it, about that in a second. That's so, yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. And and um, I can see how that would, you know, yeah. really affect a man's need to 
find something like well, this. Literally, literally you, some men with on androgen deprivation, taking out the testosterone, as you say, I've seen them develop dementia all of a sudden, like rapidly progressive oh, dementias. I mean, men need testosterone. Uh, it's an it's important so part women. of Well, biology. you can, yeah. yeah, but you if you have a choice, you want to live or you want to, you know. Well, there, I, all right, we're getting into complicated territory. No, there isn't choice because there's all kinds of treatment options now, thank God, thanks to the Prostate Cancer Foundation, which I'm a part of, pcf.org, if you want to know more about that. Um, lots of treatment options for prostate cancer and more coming rapidly. I mean, very, very quickly evolving field. Uh, prostate cancer, which used to be the sleepy field, has now become the, one of the leading research uh, sort of uh, uh, disease-specific entities out there. So it's it's kind of extraordinary, but you guys you guys screwed me up. Okay, so let's just walk through. Sorry, so, I went. No, no, no. I went. It's all dark. good. I went dark on you. It, it, it's all good. And and you. So you. The point is, I w I wanted us to pretend what it was like to have a couple come in and deal with this thing because I've never seen that anywhere. I've never seen anybody address that. And I've seen. I figured Dr. Tapscott was exactly the right person to play doctor in this particular She's situation. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I was a dud at the beginning. No, no, you were good. Um, but You're any, any last questions before I move on? That's how you start. That's how everyone is very afraid. They don't want, they say, you know what? My husband has already been through so much. I don't want him to do something just for me. We have so many things going mm -hmm. in our life. I don't want him to enter into a surgery or another procedure, mm -hmm. you know, where he could hurt himself and not be around that, for our family. So that, you, you, that doesn't sound like my wife. Person. That doesn't sound like Susan. Susan right. be like, yeah, for me, you can do this. So <laughs> what is, how long, how long is the surgery and what's the recovery time? Is it pretty simple? Like, you know, breast implants are pretty Straightforward. I'd say breast implants probably a lesser procedure, a more more intense procedure rather. Go ahead. It depends. I mean, breast implants I think are a little more. And again, I'm not a plastic surgeon, but you know, breast more implants tissue. are a little more superficial. So I think you know we're really we're really kind of going into vascular tissue here. So I think it depends on your surgeon. My procedures in general, I I always talk to my patients. Usually less than an hour. Usually less than 45 minutes. In outpatient procedure, I see them in the office the next day and take a drain out. Um, but there are always different nuances to everyone. So I think the bottom line is, I think if you want to talk about prosthetic surgeons, okay, so let's talk about not every plastic surgeon does a lot of breast augmentation. Not every urologist, in fact, very few urologists do a lot of penile implants. It is a very specific prosthetic field. So you need to find someone that does a lot. And I don't mean I do 10 a year. You want someone that does several per year. Uh, this year, I'm hoping to do, you know, certainly well over 100. Uh, that is very unique. And, and I think that certainly the training that I've pursued and the colleagues and my mentorship that I've had uh, echoes that. And I think, look, you're only as good as your best last outcome. Uh, and I care about all my patients individually. So you really want to go to a high volume prosthetic surgeon. And so let's just walk through treatment of erectile dysfunction. Again, like something like 60 plus percent of men will experience this, are experiencing it right now, I think, if you take in all ages. It's very, very common. And we have lots of good medication for this now. As you mentioned, uh, diet and, you know, what, what, you know, timing and all these are really the issues of those medications, whether you're on empty stomach, full stomach, how long before, you know, how long it lasts, you know, the pharmacology of these things. And, and after the medication, then it's the, the pump devices, correct? Correct. Well, there's there's four certain devices. So again, I think we want to if we want to educate anyone about anything, look at the percentages of age. Forty percent of men, forty and over, have ED, erectile dysfunction. Fifty over fifty, sixty over sixty. So it, it, that that is the number with the decade. 
It's not because you're getting older. It's because whatever disease state you had at the beginning is progressing and those arteries and veins are not able to recover. I can't do a penile transplant. Now we have those in the country for certain very specific conditions, usually very, very young and it's microvascular surgery. I cannot stent your penile arteries. If you've had a heart stent, those vessels are four to six times bigger than the ones in your penis and I can't change the ones in your penis. So the four treatment options are number one, and again, the American Neurologic Association has actually put all of these on a level playing field. So one thing which, you know, your wife, Susan, you know, alluded to is like, well, we'll consider that if we need it, which is totally understandable in terms of the penile implant. But the American Neurologic Association now says all of these should be put on a level playing field. It doesn't mean one comes before the other, but certainly the most conservative measures first. So number one, a vacuum erection device. So I have an example here. Okay. And there are different kinds that you can have. You can get them on the internet. You can get them at his and her stores. Um, I prefer a medical grade device because I do believe that they are scientifically studied. Uh, a lot of them are covered by insurance uh, from your urologist or your primary care office. Unfortunately, Medicare does not cover these anymore, but I do have an affordable source, which maybe I can uh, speak with Dr. Drew later on how to help patients get a quality device uh, at a low price. Okay, I don't want you to spend more for a date night uh, then you're spending on your erections when you get home because then it's just a lose-lose situation. So the vacuum erection device is a suction cup for the penis. You put your penis inside here, a veno-occlusive band or ring. I hate the term cock ring, but that's what we have in our society today. Yeah, it has to maintain the device have... because it is suction. Um, second of all, I think that might uh, violate YouTube stuff, Caleb. Okay. I'm not sure, but it uh, worries me. But okay. keep, keep going. I'll let Caleb be the, 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 the band, monitor of all that. No problem. Vano occlusive yep. band. Uh, and then we have the oral medications. There are four separate brands of oral medications. Some of them are generic at this time. And I would encourage patients the most cost effective measure is a good RX card at this time. Certainly that helps bring down the price generic, uh, certainly. And they all work differently as we discuss food, alcohol absorption, time of onset, time of length. And we can go through those individually at some time if people want to. The third uh, option is an intracavernosal injection, which is an injection into the penile tissue, so through your skin, directly into the penile tissue, that dilates the arteries. However, if you have those leaky valves that we talked about, the injections may not be successful for you, and you may have to use a combination of a band and the injections together. And then again, the fourth option is the penile implant, which I call a permanent solution, which is uh, consistent and reliable for your erectile dysfunction. Susan. I I heard about those injections. Remember? Yeah, I was like, oh god, you didn't like that. Yeah, but but that wouldn't be in your presence. You could do it. Yeah, yeah, but Drew's great with needles. He's like, he's the best with needles. But and he was doing it to himself. I the thought of it would just make me like cringe a little bit. But you wouldn't but, be aware. I, I mean, did. No, I know Are you. If I knew you, uh -huh. you'd do a great job. <laughs> hey, well, one of the things I wondered about, I've often wondered about. I always thought that would eventually, because if guys are doing that a few times a week, you're going to get, aren't you going to get some scarring at the base of the penis? That's correct. So usually you can get some scar tissue. So it's much like, let's talk about another very common injectile therapy that Americans are familiar with, which is maybe diabetes therapy. So under the skin uh, injections of insulin or an insulin-like product 
So certainly into the penis, that tissue is not just under the skin. It's a vascular tissue. So sometimes it can be unforgiving. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Americans can develop something called, or, or patients, non, non-Americans, can, can develop something called Peyronie's disease, which is scar tissue that's around the lining of the penis, either due to trauma from intercourse, uh, you know, low dose, you know, very infrequent erections or maybe non-robust erections in a partner who may have some estrogen atrophy or tissue atrophy where their tissues aren't as mm-hmm. expansive. We're talking about heterosexual couples and then just scar tissue from the injection. Itself. Let's flip over to the female. You're mentioning the receptive. I think capacity. about all the things women go through, like physically. Yep. And I now actually feel sorry for men for something like, you know, they have to go through you, this. You know- before the age of 50 you don't want a males after 50 that's essentially <laughs> like the an episiotomy unless they're in my own vagina goes yeah, through. Not be all right. unless it's like all the things we go through if 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 it was if the this happened to them each male it wouldn't feel so bad we would uh, feel sorry for you guys thank you thank you Susan. that's very important <laughs> but let but speaking of i the, don't wish it on anybody but speaking okay of women, let's let's flip i don't over. wish childbirth on anybody i, I was telling dr chapscott we talked the other day and i was telling her about your experience with hormone replacement therapy why don't you just tell it from your perspective what that was like for me yeah because she's very very she works with a guy named dr goldstein at Ishwish, which is really some of the the highest level scientific and clinical uh, sort of uh, issue research on these issues and, and, and clinical guidelines. So what was your experience like? I mean, I, I was, I always was very sexual in my thirties or until I was in my thirties, we got married and I had pr- triplets and my hormones were just whacked out, but I had menopause early. So, and I didn't know. So, okay. So, so two clues that were missed one, she had ovarian hyperstimulation. They didn't. High voice too. And um, so <laughs> I I found out from a friend who had a hysterectomy that there was this thing called bioidentical pellets that you have, you know, after you have your uterus removed and your ovaries. And I went in and they found out that my testosterone estrogen levels were really, really low. And I was miserable for 20 years, like just, or yeah, well, 10 years from 30 oh, wow. to mid 40s, yeah. 45. But well, I was 50, I guess, when I first started mm. and um, 20 years. Mm. Ugh. Anyway, so um, I went in and I got it. I got it taken care of. And I swear I was so angry that I was miserable for so long. I had to go on antidepressants. I had to go to a therapist. I had to go to a psychiatrist. I had all these mental health problems because I had hormonal imbalance and I didn't know it, you know, and they didn't, my doctor told me that I told him that Drew liked to have sex a lot and I really had no interest. And he said, well, maybe you could get him a bin. So, um, yeah, so we, they gave me this handful of pills and I would take them. And if I forgot to take them, I'd have hot sweats all night. So for like 10 years, I was like in and out of menopausal symptoms. I was miserable. I was crazy. I was sweaty in the, I'd sweat all night. I wouldn't sleep. I'd wake up, you know, the next day cranky and I'd have to take my kids to school. You know, it was just, it was awful. Being female problems are the worst, you know, and it, but it was left untaken care of for 10 years. And, and I begged my doctors, they didn't know anything about it until I met this new person that came into town who was in the same office coincidentally which surprised me but i've been going to her ever since and um i am so happy having testosterone and estrogen in my system because now i can i wake up every day happy i i function i'm 
you know, if I, if my hormones are a little bit off, I get a little achy and I know it. Like I'm really attuned to my body. And, I know, and you get fatigue. Real intense. I know when, I, when I'm depressed. <laughs> having you yeah. know when i need my next ones or whatever i have but the symptoms are nothing compared to what i went through i mean i and then after, was the poster child in pasadena of the identicals in the entire sex <laughs> because i told everybody my story <laughs> and every right. woman in town is calling and going or I, I got my pellets for free for a while because so many people were coming in by my recommendation. And she's no longer an obstetrician. She just does the hormone therapy. And I, you know, it's kind of cool. I, I like to see this and it's not covered by insurance, which is wrong because yep. you know, it's only like four or $500 every 12 weeks. And that's a lot for people. Yeah, yeah it is a lot well, for I people. Like but I might, I might regret it later, but. Yeah, it no, it's it's just not right because men get Viagra, but women parity. can't get their hormones. So in, fixed. in my you know, practice, it's weird. yeah, in my practice, women have parity. So one thing that I learned from uh, one of my um, great, you know, uh, okay. men should have women and men should have parity when it comes to sexual dysfunction. So um, you know, I don't have women pay any more for uh, testosterone pellets than my male patients do, and I am committed to that because as you know, it's like I said before, it's no good to put a Ferrari uh, in a driveway if you can't put it in. There it's incredibly us. important to have that period. I am, I am willing to pay for the Ferrari. I've got, I've got, I've <laughs> no, got no. two Ferraris in my, in my, in my butt. <laughs> she's talking about the pellets herself. Unfortunately, it's a dynamic no. that's been created. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate. No, I love, I love it. It's. And I don't want it to stop anytime soon. I want to take it to my grave because yeah. literally I feel so good. And I don't, even if there's side effects, like I'm losing some hair because my dad had pattern baldness. So I have very, very short hair on the top of my head, but um, it's not, you know, I can live with it. You know, I, I'm happy with it. Um, they say also you can have, I guess that's pretty much the worst symptom that you can you, really there, get. There's some women that don't respond as well as you do. And when I've heard of those sort of, I wouldn't say non-responders, but not as wonderful response as you, they're usually complaining about aggression. That rather, yeah. than, rather than feeling more energy and, and right. feeling good, they just feel more aggressive. Well, when I had way too much at the beginning, because they were like, you know, they gave me a lot at the beginning, I found that I lost um, empathy empathy for others. Yeah, I was more male. Like, I was just like, I didn't give a shit if somebody was crying. Testosterone induced oh, they're just crying. Shut up. Just stop crying. Jesus. <laughs> and then I realized that I needed to lower my testosterone. Oh my but God, that's funny. No, I remember that. And I, but I mean, if that's the worst thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So thank you, Susan, for sharing that story. I tried to, I tried to relate it to Dr. Tapscott, but I can't do as quite as colorful a job. Uh, and uh, I think I had perimenopause for like 10 years. I swear I to God. I think you had it for 15 years. I think you had it for, I think, yeah. And I think our, our peers grossly not only um, disregard, don't even consider the effects of perimenopause. And when they see somebody with depression or anxiety or sleep disturbances, hormonal disturbances are they don't even think about it and it's it's very likely to be the issue it's terribly common and you know what i don't have cellulite i have great legs i my butt looks good right drew yep like i'm strong yep. you know i'm what i was in my 
thirties, you know, I'm not, you know, people go, really? You're 60. Like, wow, you look pretty good. Like, I'm like, I don't want to tell you why, but, um, I need a full body it's, you know, to help. <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal. We're going to take a quick little break and uh, more with Dr. Tapscott. Tapscott, I want to get into Peronis. I want to get into uh, some effects of testosterone uh, deficiencies in men. I got a bunch of stuff I want to get into. So we'll be right back after this. And we're back with Dr. Tashley Tapscott. Dr. Tapscott, where should people go if they want to talk to you or get more information or see you, whatever the case may be? Absolutely. So I'm located with Carolina Urology Partners as my parent company in Huntersville, North Carolina. We're a large urology group organization, but I have created a subset in a division of our practice, which is Chic, the Sexual Health Institute of the Carolinas at shicarolina.com. I also have a YouTube channel, Dr. Ashley Tapsick, where I talk a lot about penile implants and Peyronie's disease and answer great questions that patients may have. Outstanding. Thank, and thank you for spending a little time with us today. As I said at the outset, Dr. Tapscott and I are uh, paid representatives of the Petrus Pharmaceutical Organization. We'll be back at a later time to talk, later podcast somewhere or, or streaming show to talk about specifics of the PDE5 inhibitors, the things that increase the nitric oxide that allow erection to occur that has been revolutionary, frankly, in the, in the field of erectile dysfunction. And uh, I was saying, as it pertains to the female partners, when uh, the first PD-5 inhibitors came on board, I, you know, I have an internal medicine practice, so I had a lot of elderly men, and uh, they were lined up at the door the day they read about it in the paper, and then five days later, the women were lined up at the door mad at me, because uh, you have to prepare the female partners if they have not been uh, in this active in a while. It, it's, a, it's a thing, as you said, the, the, the old Ferrari may be functioning, but... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the garage still we got to clear out before before we can put it in there as you say um so i'm sorry say that again yeah we're freezing up a little bit uh, caleb is that uh, server problems today we're yeah having? it's so it's not on actually either of your ends there it's there's some sort of a server issue to the streaming websites right now uh, so just just repeat yourself if you have to i'm trying to figure it out but it's right. something on somebody else's you just wait just wait till it comes back. Don't yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll just get uh, let's get Elon Musk to buy uh, YouTube or something. Maybe we can yeah. really get this thing fixed. <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know his uh, rockets, are, his are shaped like penises, so we'll do something. Uh, yeah, he's he's thinking of you when he uh, sends those That's things off right. to, the, to to orbit. So per Peroni's disease. Speaking of uh, things that don't look like those rockets, uh, pretty common problem. Talk a little bit about what causes that and what we can do about it today. Absolutely. So Peyronie's disease, and we're talking about American men, right? So this is a podcast worldwide, but it's really American men. We know it's present in about 13% of American men. Peyronie's disease is actually a scar tissue issue that really is a defect of wound healing. So, so we think holes, it's a combination of, yeah, we think it's a combination of genetics uh, as well as a wound healing disorder. So basically you have some microscopic trauma, wearing tear on the penis, unless you've had a specific sex oops incident. Uh, and there's, there's some scar tissue that forms in an, in an area aligning of the penis of the erectile tissue called the tunica albuginea. And basically more collagen gets laid down there that gets taken away. So that produces a scar. That scar is a hard scar to make and it's a hard scar to break. And until 2013, we did not have any FDA approved treatments for Peyronie's disease. We tried some vitamin E, we tried some arginine, uh, which is you know, amino acids, we tried some in injection of steroids, et cetera. Nothing really worked. It's just a really hard scar. And if you think about it, if you have a heart attack, 
and you have a scar on your heart, right, from that heart attack, that deoxygenated blood tissue, uh, that heart tissue doesn't really come back. So we think about Peroni's in the same. It's just that tissue is just very, very non-compliant and elastic. In 2013, we had an approved treatment called uh, Clostridium collagenase histolyticum, and basically it's a collagen bond breaker that breaks up the scar tissue in the penis that we can inject into the penile tissue in the office to break up that scar tissue. There's also and, surgery. And the other op- yeah, surgery. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. There's something called plication. So if I'm, I'm going to use my finger as an example, if you have a penile curvature, so we consider 30 degrees, the FDA indication is 30 degrees of curvature uh, all the way up. Mm-hmm. I've treated men with 115 degrees. Plication is basically oh putting uh, on the other side to straighten out the penis. But you can imagine when you kind of shorten the long side, you may have a shorter phallus or shorter penis. And then if men have erectile dysfunction concomitantly or coexisting with their erectile dysfunction, we do talk to them about a penile implant, which is why I perform ultrasounds in my office to look at the blood flow and the curvature. And recently, there must have been some articles out because I had several patients obsessing about this, uh, about penis scarring and shortening when it's not used effectively or not used frequently. Talk a little bit about that. I want to put try to put that in context. In other words, like how common is that? Does the penile length or size really change with circulating testosterone levels? Does it change with uh, scarring from lack of use? What, what are the circumstances? What's the reality of all that? Yeah, the reality is that you know we don't have, we don't talk about clinical studies. So I'm going to talk about anecdotal and, and clinical outcomes experience. So circulating testosterone, I think, is super important. I think it's a piece of the pie. I don't think it's the entire pie. Now, unless you're very young. Uh, and you have low testosterone, it's not the only driving factor. It's not the magic bullet. So I think testosterone is important for orgasm, vitality, sensation, et cetera. It's not the only driving factor for erectile dysfunction. So if you're waking up, let's say, with less frequent morning erections, that's not necessarily just a straight up sign of erectile dysfunction. Now, the penis is a muscle. And if you don't use it, you lose it. So if we put you know, a, a, a cast on my arm for six weeks and we take it off, that muscle is going to look kind of debilitated and puny and scrawny. The same thing is with the penis. So if you're not having full robust erections, perhaps post-prostatectomy or other surgeries, or just in general, certainly you know, I do use vacuum erection devices as a form of what I call penile rehabilitation in my office for various conditions for length and girth restoration and preservation. So so with, let's say, just hypertension and routine vascular, mm-hmm. you know, endothelial disease of, uh, associated with aging and hypercholesterolemia, metabolic syndrome, that kind of stuff, uh, there can be some shortening and scarring. Yes, that, act, that does happen, and you can rehabilitate it. And is there any change with, any change in mm-hmm. penile size in some males associated with testosterone levels? Uh, yes and no. So I, I think that there haven't been any succinctly dis, you know, distinct studies with that scientifically, but there there was some data in terms of men before a penile implant done by some, by some of my colleagues down in Florida, that use of a vacuum erection device six to eight weeks before a penile implant, it was able to actually procure a longer penis size before we place the implant inside. Because okay. people should understand, so, the implant goes on the inside of the penis, not the outside. So your stretch penile length may be different, or your vacuum penile length, than the internal length of which we measure to place an implant. And I, I want to switch over to, to female physiology for a second and anatomy. The periurethral gland, I, I've heard various 
made of that, made of that gland. I, my understanding is the the cells them, the cells themselves, and and when we see when people say periurethral glands, let me ask you this question first: Are do they mean Bartholin's glands? Do they mean Skeen's glands? Do they mean something else? No, they actually mean it. And when you say they, so Dr. Goldstein has has a lot of scientific literature around this. Out of the 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 yeah. uh, you know. It's a sexual medicine practice in San Diego. He's kind of our godfather of female sexual dysfunction. So, you know, he has some mappings and some some scientific literature around the periurethral glands, kind of simultaneously equating them to the prostate gland uh, in the female. Right. Uh, and certainly, those right. are glands that run along the urethra. There are some discussions about whether these urethral slings, when we talk about for stress incontinence, kind of the cough, laugh, sneeze incontinence, if placing those disturbs those glands from a sexual dysfunction perspective as well. So, a lot of people think. Uh, a lot of uh, scientists and urologists, researchers think that that tissue or those gland secretions are synonymous to the prostate gland uh, in general, which I think is what you're alluding to. That, that's, I, that's actually what Goldstein told me. And it was the first time I had heard that was from him years ago. And I, I, I've had thoughts, questions since, like, why don't women, particularly with the, in the day of testosterone replacement, why don't they ever develop prostate cancer? If that, those are really prostate cells, the way he implies. And... and um, he he suggests that that may be the source of orgasmic discharge in women. Uh, Correct. Seems makes sense well, to me. I, I, think I, mean, they, prostate. I think they measured some PSA. So PSA is a is a blood test that we do to assess the health of the prostate, whether it's enlargement, infection, inflammation, and or cancer. It's a marker of what we call it in the medical field. So PSA supposedly was was elucidated from some of those fluids from female secretions of the periurethral gland. Why women don't get, quote, prostate cancer? Well, obviously, I don't think we have the organ density that men have. Uh, and I just feel like the physiology, you know, which we're still trying to understand genetically, uh, just is not there. But certainly, you know, there is some thought to that scientifically. It's interesting. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Um, those are most of my questions. What, have we missed some topic? What, what are the sort of the urological hits these days? What are, I mean, obviously urinary function men are very concerned about as they aged and that's, you know, as much as anything, uh, pelvic. Oh, we didn't talk about pelvic floor and pelvic floor rehabilitation. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, I think uh, if we talk about a lot of different pelvic and perineal, so perineum, just for, for some people listening that may not be aware when we use the term medically, basically means the term between the bottom of the scrotum and the rectum or the anus. So it's kind of that sensitive area, the perineum. A lot of people are actually sexually stimulated by this area. It's also an area that's very rich in nerve fibers and muscles that can generate lactic acid. So I always talk about, you know, I see a lot of men come to my office for pelvic pain, perineal pain that may radiate to their testicles, which everything's kind of connected there. And I think when we talk about the world of pelvic and perineal pain, it's very individual. Sometimes we find very little on imaging. I have men that have seen four and five neurologists. They've had MRIs, they've had CT scans, they've been doing all kinds of different things to try and help themselves. Um, the male core muscles are very difficult to get to because basically we can only get to them through the rectum. So women have childbirth, they have intercourse in the vagina, they use tampons. There are a lot of things that stretch those muscles naturally. Men, not so much. So if a man's having pelvic or perineal pain, certainly you should see a qualified pelvic specialist like a urologist, but certainly there are magicians in my field in terms of physical therapists that are dedicated to the world of pelvic floor health, pelvic floor musculature, that assessment, evaluation, and treatment. 
that are just, you know, quite frankly, again, magicians in my field in terms of helping these patients. Because a lot of times I think it's you seen maybe Dr. Drew, these patients will be put on different neurologic medications. They'll be put on opioids, which really is not the right answer. Yeah chronically no, for them. And we know men on chronic steroids and opioids then start to have low testosterone, right? So so I, I really, I am not an opioid-centric practice whatsoever. I do not prescribe chronic opioids, mm-hmm. nor am I looking to in my practice. Uh, and so there have to be a lot of functional musculature and neurologic methods for these uh, pathologic, uh, you know, physiology. 100% behind that. It, it does remind me of a topic we sort of slid past the very beginning, which was we were telling Susan how the male nervous system is very tied into their genitalia and the point that I, we sl- slipped by when what dr tapcott said is that men are touching themselves when they come out of uh, anesthesia it's literally the first thing that happens when people wake men wake up from coma is their hands go right there not because they're stimulated it's just part they're neurologically so tied to that area that uh, there's just a natural tendency to for hands to go there whatever it's just it's just a circuit of some type that that men have and it comes out coming out of anesthesia coming out of coma you see these things all the time the other thing is in obsessive compulsive disorders is again more of this energy neurological energy that men had towards the pelvis i've seen men all the time that are preoccupied with shininess of the skin or size or all kinds of things with anxiety disorders obsessive compulsive disorders most of them lose those preoccupations with a little bit of zoloft or a little bit of prozac which are the medications for ocd or a wife no 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 it's a weird preoccupation (laughs) the wife it's yeah i don't want to fault men for this i mean let's think about it you know cavemen or wherever we believe we came from the fat the infatuation and the necessity was fertility and survival yeah 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 absolutely reproduction yeah that's true we are we had to procreate reproduce to establish civilization yep. so it, it is what it no, is no it I, I'm glad you said that because I've been noticing lately, I've been trying to get people not to think pejoratively about any features of the human being. It all has a, uh, adds advantages and, and liabilities, but there's a evolutionary adaptation to all of it. Correct. What were you saying, Susan? I, was, I remember when you were on Loveline and I would be home like listening. I can't remember if we were married and had kids yet or whatever, but there was like a period of time where every call was a guy calling about their penis. Yeah, and I normal? was like, we should just call it penis line. Yeah. Like these guys have questions all day long and they were all different, but they all had a question about it. And, you know, they were like teenagers or whatever. But I was just like, wow, can we get some female callers on here for Christ's yeah, sake? And, like- <laughs> and, and listen, and that, now they have they have the solution or the answers at the fingertips with the Internet. And they're just as confused. as. But that's ever. how women look at it. Like <laughs> I was just uh, typical, like, oh, my God, you know, but now I get it because I'm on testosterone. <laughs> so- well, and, and unfortunately, to, to your point, Dr. Drew, you know, I have seen so many young men. I'm talking late teens. I don't I, you know, I'm an adult practice, but I do see some late adolescent males because they're basically developed like an 18 year old male or, you know, with the permission and, and the accompaniment long time of their parents. But, you know, everyone is so internet addicted and camera and FaceTime and these social media apps. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, people lose sight that everybody's Facebook and, and whatever, you know, OnlyFans reel is, is, is supposed to be your normal reel. And I will tell you, mm-hmm. no one, almost no one in my practice, uh, whatever you see on social media, nobody's having sex that much. It's, it's just not what it is. It, it's not realistic. People have jobs. People have 
responsibilities. I'm not advocating that we can't all swing from the chandelier and have rodeo great sex. I just think that the reality that's out there has morphed into something that is not humanly sustainable. And I just try, so I spend a lot of time with reassurance in my practice and other avenues. And I have great sex therapists on hand too, which I think is very important. Yeah, very, that's important. Very important. Leopold, un, un, uh, mute yourself there, buddy. Hey, how you hey, doing, Dr. Drew? Good, you have a question for us. <laughs> I do, and actually it has everything to do with uh, what you guys have been talking about, but um, has the doctor, Dr. Tapscott, have you come across any folks who post-COVID infection mm. have had a, a huge reduction in their ejaculate? Great volume? question, great question. That's a fantastic so that, question. That's one question. Then there's an, and then there's one other question, and that is, uh, I've been with some women who have copious amounts of uh, female ejaculate, and can you explain that? As well? Okay, so let's start with uh, what's going on. Let's talk about post-COVID, and, and specifically ask Leopold's yeah. question, but post-COVID is sort of a protean, protean topic, so go ahead. It totally is. So, so first of all, the one thing that I would say about science that everyone needs to realize when we're talking about COVID is, unfortunately, sometimes we can only accumulate the data as every day folds forward, right? So, so you know, this is a really hot topic. I think it's very important. Look, COVID is an inflammatory source. It is a virus. And I think the one thing that I've seen in my practice most affected by COVID is actually fertility. Uh, anytime a man has a fever or an inflammatory response in his system, his sperm counts may be down for 90 plus days, et cetera, even from a common cold. So when we talk about coronavirus, which is really a common cold and other things, certainly that can affect things. I think, unfortunately, scientifically, until we get some more research dollars, NIH or et cetera, behind this thing, we're not going to be able to have the answers. So I think COVID can certainly impact multiple layers of men's sexual health in terms of testosterone, psyche, erectile dysfunction, a lot of those things are interconnected. So I don't have a lot of great answers, but I can tell you, I do believe that some part of that concern is real. And I think it has to be teased out on an individual basis. Yeah, I'll, I'll pile on and just say the, the neurological effects are protein, that affects circulating testosterone and drive, and that affects production of fluid. It just all kind of goes together. And and Leopold, I don't have to tell you, you know, how sick the, that thing makes you for how oh. long. You know, it's oh just, my God, just yes. yeah, so. It, well, and, and what I noticed post-COVID, Dr. Drew, was, I mean, it went, my the volume went down like 90%. Wow. And so... Interesting. Get that hydrolyte in you. Get the hydrolyte Yes. Do they make a special hydrolyte just for that area? You're giving me ideas. Give me ideas. New product coming soon. I love it. And then, and then the flip question, Doctor Tapscott, is yeah, the female like like copious amounts. Yeah. What's what's the what's all the difference there? Well, men are very variable too. So let's talk about that variability in women. Yeah, I think a thousand percent. So I, I think it's dangerous to compare partners to partners, right? I think that that everybody wants to have that scale. And again, everyone, some people have very few partners, some people have multiple partners, some people have multiple partners at the same time. So, you know, I think sometimes the discussions have to be really open in terms of different parameters and variabilities and things like that. I have women who, who have copious amounts of ejaculatory fluid, orgasm fluid, and some women just are not in that manner. So I think a lot of that, you know, you, again, Dr. Drew and I have talked about hormonal status, hydration, you know, relaxation, comfortability. I have a lot of women who are very excitable 
but their pelvic yeah. floor is very tight and almost produces like that. Sound, is that, is that an RN2? One second. Her lips are moving. We lost your sound. No sound. I don't know if you can hear us, but we lost your sound. Yeah, uh, can anybody hear us? Yeah, she can hear us. but She, she hears us. I don't hear you yet. Mm, Caleb, are you with us? I'm, I'm fixing it. It's, yeah, it's something over on your end. I can't hear Caleb either. Uh, I didn't touch anything, I, I swear. Say, we have done something here? No, I didn't touch anything. Oh. I was on my phone texting a Twitcher. Oh, really? No, I was on Twitter. Even because he said, "Hey, you guys, I'm here." We go. Are we back? Oh, well, come on now. We're just space urology. Uh, let me just look at people's questions on uh, restream. See if anything pops up there. Somewhere. All right. Let me see if there's anything. Maybe you can get the uh, get the see if somebody's on. Leopold, let's see if you're on there. All right. Let's see if we can hear Leopold. So they can hear her. We just can't. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? The the restream people said. Um, did did I push okay, the right buttons? Caleb. Did I push the right buttons on the roadcaster? Yes, hello. We can hear Caleb too. It's, it's okay. Normally not like this, Dr. Tapscott. Are you fro is she frozen again? No, you're there. Good. I'm here. So hold I on. Uh oh, we've lost a whole bunch of stuff here. Well, I think what I will hmm. Hold on one second. All right, let me go to the uh, let me go to the restream since it's the only thing I can communicate with right now. Uh, let's see. You can still hear us, yes, I know, and I'm I'm sorry about that, Casey. As you hear me, um, you know what we can do. Most sex therapists are cognitive behavioral therapists, are they? I'll let you answer. Doctor Ashley, can you talk oh, for a second? Tapscott, can you uh, yes, talk I'm here. again? Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, we got you back. back. We got you back. We Fantastic. Got you back. Awesome. What did we? Sorry. What, what have we done wrong? I don't know. It's the, just there's some that, weird internet issues happening, but it's across the whole network, so it's not actually on yeah, anyone's end here. And I lost my remote control, so it it turned off your sound on your end. But everybody wow, can still hear everything, so you're good. But I'm so here, I'm here and I fixed it. Everybody. And we were here when there was a, cyber, a giant cyber attack. That's why I sit here. Yeah. All right. We're going to keep moving. All right. So uh, let's bring a, let's see if uh, Josh wants to come up here. Another call for you, Dr. Tan. Hey, Dr. Drew. Josh, what's going on? Hey, Not Josh. much. Um, I have a question. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How really are you? Interesting, uh, really interesting. Really interesting uh, conversation. My father is a um, urologic surgeon in Sarasota, Florida, and um, but that's not why. That's not have anything to do with my question. It's just it's. I've heard it. You know, I've heard the. Um, I've sort of heard the 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 dialogue before. It doesn't weird me out because mm -hmm. I've I grew, grew up, up with it. it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and and I think it's it's really good to talk about. My question is is I'm. I'm a meditator. I'm sort of on the spiritual side of things. And the Eastern philosophical scriptures, I'll, I'll tie it in in a second, but the, the Eastern uh, ancient scriptures talk about semen. And they talk about the value of retaining semen, the value of celibacy, say. So this is the the holding the chi as the as some some yes exactly so, and right, let's the talk reason, about it. let's talk about well it. I just want to can I just finish my yeah so so the reason they 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 say this is because they're 
their point is that there's an extremely large expenditure of energy to create semen. And I think that's the rationale, scientific or whatever, that's behind that. Um, that it's, it's, it's not so much that if you lose it, you become dull, but that could be the case. And also the case of trying to rebuild that reservoir in the seminal vesicles. Let's, let's talk about it. So my understanding is uh, if you hold your chi too long, your testosterone starts to plummet. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, there, so there's lots of different studies and data. And I think we talk about Eastern Western medicine. Uh, I think we things get into different cultural and dialects and religious concerns, et cetera. So I think that there's some of the cross hatching of that research really hasn't happened as we need it to. Now, of course, what you may be alluding to, too, with some of the, the, the reward of drawing back is some of what people call like tantric sex. Right. I think there have been some celebrities uh, that have been very big proponents of that in terms of increasing intimacy and fire, et cetera. And I do have men in my practice that maybe aren't having a lot of uh, either masturbatory or partner-based, self-partnered or partner-based uh, masturbatory ejaculations that do have some prostatitis, inflammation of the prostate as a result of that. But I don't have, I can't quote a lot of, you know, seminal vesicle imaging or et cetera that talks about buildup or whatever. Again, that's a very specific individualized anatomic function. Um, and I, I think in, in this day and age, you know, if it makes you feel well, if it heightens your sexual experience, I'm here to tell you, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody or yourself, you know, I'm here to give you the the, the green flag to go forward and, and do what you need to do. Except at the, the extreme levels, you know, I, my understanding was testosterone goes up with sexual activity. If it's if it's too much, it goes back down. If it's too little, it goes down. And and yeah. so you're trying to optimize your also, as you said, prostatitis, it irritates the prostate. Some data prostatitis may be associated with other problems down the line. And then, and then you had mentioned to me that sort of the, you were talking about the damage done by excessive sort of inflation, uh, and and this sort of goes with that kind of behavior, doesn't it? Are you talking about in terms of priapism or? Not priapism per se, but you know, sort of um, excessive, you know, excessive sort of. Uh, I guess I guess it would be shear forces on the corpus cavernosum, something like that. Yeah, yeah talk, talk, yeah, so talk I, about I, that a little bit. Shear forces. I mean, you know, we could look at an arm and talk about it. so shear forces on. So the penile tissue is really like a set of inner tubes or like a set of tires, and and it really has a lot of pressure with a very thin yet robust lining of that tunica albuginea. By the way, that's the same tissue that covers the testicles. So all of these sports that you, you men may be engaged in, all of the trauma or pleasure that testicles may have, they're aligned by the same tough lining, shell lining, tissue lining that the penis is. It is not totally amenable to injury and trauma. So we have testicular rupture from sports and trauma. You have penis rupture or what we call penile fracture. And everyone can look at the images of that. We call it, you know, the eggplant penis is the classic clinical scenario. Mm -hmm. But if that if that layer ruptures, all of the internal blood supply just leaks right out of the penis. And then again, that can cause scar tissue, Peyronie's disease, and permanent erectile dysfunction. So again, I want my patients to have a robust, intimate encounter. But certainly, you know, there are limitations to the human body as in any sport, such as sex exercise, et cetera. Yeah, you you mentioned that back to your tire analogy that 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 causes some of the micro scarring that that we worry about, correct? 
Correct. Yeah. And I, and I think, look, I think, you know, when we talk about wear and tear on the penis, it is an organ. It's an organ that's used almost unlike any other, right? When you think about what the penis goes through, there's a lot of trauma with positions such as partner superior. That is one of the most common uh, pathologies for penile fracture is partner on top because they're kind of in control. They're governing that suspensory ligament attachment to the pelvic bone that the penis has. Uh, but also I think that in general, you may have a partner, you know, who may be atrophic or maybe their tissues are inelastic or maybe it could even be a young partner that's fully estrogenized if we're talking about female intercourse uh, and their tissues just may be very tight. That may cause some jamming or scarring phenomenon, as well as a man who may have not quite full erections trying to kind of like make sure he gets in the garage all the way, if you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. Well, Dr. Tapscott, thank you so much for joining us. I think uh, you have been Susan's favorite patient uh, uh, guest th thus far, judging by her. Yeah, hey, I have a question. Delight in your answers. But I have I, a question. I wanted to give her the last chance. I figured she'd have some Did questions. Did you see my question? No, I didn't see it. What is it? Okay, oh, I want to know how to help Drew not wake up at night to pee post-prostectomy. Oh. Besides no coffee, but oh, other know. suggestions, okay. you know, like how to just sit it out and then because I hate waking up at 4 a.m. Also, how do I teach him how to shut the door when he goes? <laughs> let me let me, okay. let me let me clarify. Yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. She's being funny. Okay, let me clarify some. <laughs> let me clarify some of this. I do shut the door, but it's four in the morning, so I'm sure it seems loud. Uh, anytime you, when you pee. I think you're talking about at the beach. Where anytime that... when you pee, shut the door. Okay, I will. But I think, I think she'll you, tell me how to. Yeah, I think you you're didn't... talking about the beach is the one thing. Uh, I have a. No, I, I can hear you. I've mm -hmm. had a strange, uh, little bit of weird neurology with the bladder, um, in yeah. that uh, str stretch. You know, I used to have the usual prostate-related urgency that men get in, in my age group, but I now it's a now it's like a now it's it has a totally different feel to it. It's like a stretch pain. It's like it's painful, and it feels like bladder stretch rather than the rather than the urgency of the of the prostate, and. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to predict, you know, if I have coffee at night, for sure, that it's going to be a 4 a.m. wake up. But if I have a glass of wine with dinner, it's going to be a 4 a.m. wake up. So is there anything else that Susan should be aware of that she has to look after here? No more drinking. Mm -hmm. Well, no. So listen, I'm not going to take anybody's caffeine or indulgences away from them because that's not real life, right? And I think anything in excess, obviously, we can talk about, which, of course, is your expertise. But let's not forget one thing. And I, as a urologist, <laughs> I'm guilty of this. Men have bladders too, okay? And, and, and you may not have a prostate, but certainly you may have some overactivity to your bladder. And there are lots of fantastic yeah. agents that we can do. One thing I always say, your bladder does not care about your brain. It will boss the heck out of you. And women can tell me this all day long. But men after age 50 and 60 are actually more responsible for the overactive bladder population compared to the women. Okay, there's a, there's a really an inverse thing that happens. Yes, because their prostates, blow their bladders out. It's like losing the elastic in your sock, okay? This muscle works mm. for so hard, so long to push against the prostate. So certainly, I think you could talk about some overactive bladder measures. I'm not going to take away your caffeine or wine because that's something that you all okay. enjoy together. I can talk about some late night bedroom moves. You know, we can put a little light on the toilet so you can walk in there and not disturb her. I love that you guys apparently sleep so close together that you, you know, notice that about each other. Uh, but certainly there are certain things we can do about the bladder to modify those risks and to decrease increase your sleep and to increase her pleasure with sleeping as well. Yeah. You're yeah. talking about medication. Absolutely. Yeah. And, or, hey, Which, really? how about what do you think? Pelvic, why don't you see a pelvic floor physical therapist as well? 
No, but I mean, I got a lot of that rehab stuff after prostate. Do your you know, kegels. And, and I did a lot of that stuff. No, and I didn't really it. notice a difference. No, yeah. I discussed, so kegels, what relaxation. kegels are for strengthening. You actually might need mm -hmm. some down training or maybe we yes. need to explain, expand your bladder capacity with the kind of bladder assailants that you're giving in terms of the caffeine and the, uh, and, and the alcohol. We need to really increase, right. we want to be nerdy about it, your physics. We want to increase the volume without increasing the pressure. So we want to increase the compliance of your bladder. Oh. So she's what she she said what listen carefully she said assailants like alcohol yes. and, and caffeine, yeah. both yeah. And coffee, both irritate the bladder. I'm sorry. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All it's the okay, fun, but, taking hey, all the fun away. Yeah. What's that? Figure out what. I said poison. You know, I have a lot of people that say, Hey, look, I have a lot of patients that are very honest with me. You know, I'm from the land of like biscuit poisoning. You know, they want to have their whiskey and their a million beer, light beers, et cetera. Like there's a little bit of a trade-off. So if you're drinking fluids after 7 PM, depending upon your bedtime, based on your age and your get real nerdy about it, your glomerular filtration rate, your kidney function rate, yeah. you're going to have to yeah. get up to pee based on the volume. So again, there yeah. could be medications that can increase your compliance rate. It just depends on whether you want to do that or not. Or look, you're a fit guy. You work out. You know, I can tell just from the waist up, you know, maybe you need a little bit of pelvic floor physical therapy adjustment to your core. And maybe that'll solve that solution. Interesting. And, and Pilates. For, and for his medication, which medicine are you thinking of? Like an alpha 2 Well, I mean, I, I don't want to discuss brand names here, but there is a class of medications uh, that have been, you know, in the past 10 years introduced that are most, I think, the most superior efficacy and the safest medications on the planet. And those are the beta-3 adrenergic agonists, which are Mirbegron and Virbegron uh, in terms of those medications. You, you know what? As an internist, I get to see those cause high blood pressure. They make me nervous. Um, that, uh, you know what? That's awesome that you said that. So the previous uh, Mirbegron does Dirbregron is the only agent uh, proven by the FDA to not cause an increase in blood pressure. It was released approximately okay. one year ago, April 9th. Okay. All right. Excellent. Because I, because I, I've been a little bit nervous about that class since I saw a lot of hypertension or people. It's usually with hypertension suddenly becoming uncontrolled is really what it was. Correct. But there's yeah. been a new development of that class of medications yep. that does not include a warning on hypertension. Excellent. Well, maybe that'll be the one I take to try to get my bladder compliance up. Well, listen, well, I mean, thank you so much. If he's up at 4 a.m., Susan, bug him for something else that you need, you know, whether it's taking out the trash or parking <laughs> the garage. You know what I mean? <laughs> Somebody on the restroom asked if you put the toilet seat down. <laughs> do you want to tell that story? <laughs> yeah, later. Okay. Yeah. I do. I do put it down. She'd, well, sometimes you don't. But it's okay. I, if I don't, it's a, it's a it's a really like I I beat myself up. I for fell it. in the toilet once when I was pregnant with triplets, and that was the that was the end of the toilet seat. I was like a turtle; I couldn't get out. But that was that was the, that was the end of the the toilet seat. Um, sort of, who owned the toilet seat? <laughs> she did. So that's it. Well, now we have two bathrooms, so yeah. I. I he can do whatever he wants and yeah. his. And by the way, I didn't get up last night, if you noticed. I know, I know. Right. But you haven't had any alcohol the last few days. So. You know, I, uh, but it's, it's, I'm do I've been doing something a little weird lately as I've been drinking water just before bed and I, and I know it's going to be a problem and I, I, I don't know what that is or why I suddenly have dry mouth at night. I should pay attention to that too. All right, uh, Dr. Tapscott, the website again is shicarolina.com. Check her out there. Uh, whenever I spoke 
the previous interview I had with Dr. Tapscott, I said she and I could talk all day about everything, and I, we've now proven that. There's there's no limit to what we could get into, and we will continue right. to do so. We'll bring her back. Yeah, our fans are very happy with this conversation. Yeah, it's, I, I've always I've always said that, you know, people, I, you know, they're all, this also bothered me too. There's all kinds of people out there doing radio shows and podcasts about sexual health. You are an expert in this area. You are. And they, right. and, and you rarely see people that know what they're talking about. And it, it drives me a little nutty. Um, you know, it's just, they just don't have the training to talk about this in the way you do. So thank you for bringing it. And uh, we'll be back soon to talk more about these issues. And we appreciate uh, your time. Thank you. And thanks to Miss Susan. And uh, I'll always be a, a fan of yours as well. So can't wait to talk to you all both soon. All right. Fantastic. So nice to meet you. Dr. Ashley Tapscott, uh, Susan Pinsky's favorite guest. Um, cause well, I'm, I'm sorry. People is? <laughs> well, I'm sorry people I'm being facetious. I just so. think it's funny. Cause like, just watching the comments is really good. It is fun on the restream, but but you we should also have had were, Annie over here. You, oh my god! Well, I'm going to bring her. I may bring her over to after dark if I can. But but um, you were cracking up, and I wish people could have heard you laughing because it was <laughs> it was pleasant. It was nice to hear you reacting to her so positively. I love penis jokes. They they were good, right? She uh, she's uh, she's yeah. all over them, as they say. Uh, thank you, Kenneth, for producing. Thank you, Dr. Tapscott. Uh, we are back. Everybody, want to check me on the schedule? I know we have Dr. David Swanson coming in on. Tuesday, is that right? Anybody? How do I know him? You know David from the old days of uh, Life Changers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's how I know. Oh, no, he was coming Monday. Coming Monday. Monday. Uh, and that's going to be a little later, like at 4 o'clock. So Monday will be at 4. And uh, Tuesday, I don't think we have anybody. And Wednesday is when we're out. We will be from New York the week of the 18th. And uh, who was I talking to today? Oh, what's that, Susan? I can't hear you. Can't, your mic's off. Oh, if I can get everything to well, work. Well, you know what's interesting? I did this podcast today called Trash Tuesday, uh -huh. and and they were like, "Oh, how exciting!" It's like it's it's like when your your uh, your streaming show goes on the road. It's like when the <laughs> Wheel of Fortune goes to Hawaii. That's <laughs> really we should make something out of that. Uh, it's like this is uh, the Ask Doctor Drew on the road in New York. So I know we should get Cat to come over and do. A show. Let's do it. Let's do it. She was just texting me today saying it's been way too long since we've yeah, gotten we together. We're gonna be kind of busy in New York. I have a yeah. feeling. And so let's bring her over and do that. So that, all right, that's a plan. All right. So we will see you on Monday with Dr. Swanson. Uh, and, uh, and then we will uh, do something on Tuesday, maybe just questions because the last question. We're not doing anything tomorrow. Well, you want to, Caleb, you up for tomorrow? Ask Dr. Uh, it, uh, we could just depends do, on the time. Just questions. Depends all on right, the time. Say, he has a, he has My, appointments. So yeah. What time works for you? What time is good? Uh, uh, what do you want? Where is it? Anytime after three o'clock Pacific, I can do. Susan, do you, you, you want to be out of here by then? To, or just uh, Caleb and I could do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You can do an Ask Dr. Drew. I don't yeah, have to I could do it. Here. Mm -hmm. What time? Four o'clock? We got we to gotta load it up because we're going to take a couple of weeks off this right. month. Yeah. Uh, uh, three o'clock. If you guys have any questions, we'll be just taking questions. So. What's that, Susan? That worked really well this week. We had a good callers um, show. It was that was last week, right? Yeah, no, it was this week. Isn't or mm -hmm. Monday? But um, oh yeah, Monday. Right. Yeah, and because you guys have great things to talk about that are you know what's on your mind, and it's kind of a nice change. All right, I agree. And you don't uh, have to uh, listen to the same person talk for an hour. No, right. We can just get into people's calls and questions and things like that. And and I, I people have been asking me a lot about. I think I talked about it a little bit on Monday, but I'm getting constant. Uh, questions about narcissism all of a sudden 
and uh, childhood trauma. And so that now that we're sort of in the aftermath of COVID, I think people are looking at well, why they've been so crazy. Crazy and, world leaders. Yeah, yeah. Think yeah, about yeah. all the narcissism and the problems that are going to come out of all these poor Ukrainians getting pushed out of their countries. I mean, the ones I'm, that got you know, out. Let but, me tell you but, something. It's really interesting. Uh, war and earthquakes and things like that don't necessarily, they don't create the same kind of problem that we see today which is caused by caretakers and important figures violating the trust of the children. Yeah, these I guess. are the, this is the, the kids leaving the Ukraine are being protected by their parents. Really, you think it's they're going to? Scary. It's 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 challenges their nervous system. It may exceed their ability to, to regulate and thereby cause a trauma. But for the most part, I was watching that kind of carefully. I feel like they're they're doing a good job of protecting the kids from adverse consequence. Mm. We, on the other hand, perpetrated this. That's what I'll talk about tomorrow. Uh, the people don't understand how bad this all is. Uh, okay, we will see you tomorrow. Let's then. talk about your narcissistic mothers tomorrow. Well, yeah, perpetrating abuse by important relationships and yeah, how that's don't different. Always know they're doing it. They're I'm not putting. I'm not blaming stupid. anybody. Stupid. I'm not. I'm not blaming anybody. It, I, I don't. Like I said, I'm. I'm at ease with it to the extent that it was part of my life. But it, it is. You still don't do that. You don't do that. People don't understand what that is and what the consequences have been. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but you turned out pretty well, Doctor Drew. Considering your mom was so bad. But but it's a high stakes game with kids that you either go, the child suffers and becomes perfectionistic and tries to solve the problems by being high functioning, or the child starts rejecting everything and becoming antisocial and ends up in real trouble. I mean, it, it it's a high stakes game. How would, is there a chance you could have become antisocial? You know, it's an interesting question because theoretically that would be- Or are you? <laughs> that would depend. I'm attracted to. Hmm. It. It. it, uh, <laughs> it uh, I beg your pardon. It, it. It depends on my. It. Some of it is dependent on my genetic makeup, right? And so you could argue the reason some kids go one direction and other kids go the other is their genetic resiliency or whatever other factors are important. So the answer is, I don't know. The answer sort of can't be answered. Um, if if my genetics were strong enough, it would have just gone. Yeah. the right way but but it yeah you been. also had money behind you too, and i so. and i suffered a lot too you got to remember i was miserable yeah. a lot and so that that's the part that is inevitable but then i came kids. along and everything was better ever since <laughs> all right we'll see you tomorrow at three o'clock ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.